Our first lesson comes from Philemon, beginning at the first verse. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier in the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of your faith towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet I prefer to appeal to you for love's sake. I, Paul, an old man and prisoner now for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart I would have preferred to have kept him with me that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent, that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a time, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. And at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers to be restored to you graciously. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in the Lord, sends his greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What good news does the church have for our secular age? What good news does the church have for our secular age? We're ending the third week of this three-week walk through the book of Philemon, this tiny book that is containing within it amazing answers to three of the major questions that our present age is asking. Questions about love, questions about purpose, questions for today's purposes about justice. This amazing story of Philemon and Anisimus, this story of Philemon, this prosperous Colossian in his house, the Colossian church meets, whose servant, slave, bond servant, Anisimus, has run away and robbed him. And yet while he's away in Rome, he's bumped into the Apostle Paul and has become a Christian. 
And now Paul has the work of how does he bring back together Anisimus and Philemon. And in this, though he began with love, and the last week we moved to purpose, Paul ends this with justice, a justice that the world is longing for. See, the problem is the church doesn't always model well how to deal with conflict and justice. Right? We're not always putting on the best display. It's like the man who's discovered on a desert island. He's stranded alone for many, many years on a desert island. They rescue him, and when they rescue him, there's three structures there. And they say, three structures? I thought there was just one of you. And he said, oh, it's just always been me. This one structure's my house, and this other structure is my church. And they said, what about the third structure? He says, oh, that's the church I used to go to. But isn't that a picture of the church so often? We don't model conflict. We don't model justice well before the world. And yet, our world is longing for justice. Bishop Tom Wright writes these words about how our world is yearning for justice. He says, we dream the dream of justice. We glimpse for a moment a world at one, a world put to rights, a world where things work out where societies function fairly and efficiently, where we not only know what we ought to do, but we actually do it. We all know there's something called justice, but we can't quite get to it. Paul, in this tiny letter to Philemon, unpacks a concept of justice that lives within the church. This Justice that lives in the church, Paul says, is to be a justice that mends, that is mending, is mending conflict, is mending broken lives and broken relationships. But not only this justice that's found within the church is to be a mending kind of justice, but it's a merciful kind of justice, a justice that has mercy at the core, but not only mending and not only merciful, This justice in the church, Paul says, is to be multiplying. It's to be going to every corner and moving out further and further into our world. Now, just a quick pastoral note, though. A quick pastoral note before we ever talk about conflict resolution, justice, forgiveness. Let me pastorally just say that When you think of these subjects of forgiveness and conflict resolution and justice, if the situations you're thinking of in your own life fall under the category of the four A's, adultery, addiction, abandonment, or abuse, just recognize that those areas of conflict and reconciliation require additional pastoral help. Don't think that I can possibly in 22 minutes, well, let's be honest, 28 minutes, be able to unpack enough. You've got clergy here for a reason to walk you through the application. The gospel still works there, but it needs guidance and prayer and help. See, Paul begins by describing a kind of justice within the church that mends Amending justice, a, a justice that mends conflict, that mends broken relationships. 
See, in verse 17, if you're following with me in Philemon, he says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Receive him means welcome him. It means embrace him. It means draw him near. Now, immediately the cry is, how is that just? Where's the justice in this? Anisimus has truly harmed Philemon. Can Paul simply say, receive him, welcome him? The difficulty is that when we often hear in our world the word justice, we hear another word right beside it, retribution. The justice we think of in our world most often is a retribution kind of justice, right? You think about this driving up the tollway. There I am with Monica and my family driving back from a hockey game, right, late at night, and there's some driver on the road who is all over the road, is being dangerous, is going way too fast, is putting my family at danger. And then a few moments later, there on the side of the road, red and blue lights. And that car has been pulled over. And I'm crying out, there is a God in heaven. (laughs) Because we yearn for that kind of justice. He got what was coming to him. But here's the problem. Retribution alone doesn't fix the injustice. It doesn't heal the injustice. It simply makes us feel a little more vindicated. It soothes some of our anger, but it doesn't solve the problem. See, if I bumped into that hypothetical driver, you know, a month later, even after I knew that he got what was coming to him, I still would have an issue with him. You put my family's life in danger right? The retribution has not solved the injustice. More must be done. Now, sometimes, let me be clear, in the world, in this world, sometimes all we have is justice that is retribution. My father practiced law for many, many years. And I remember him saying to me once, he said, you know, son, it's, 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 it's hard because he said, by the time that a client gets to my office with whatever conflict they have, by that point, it's beyond fixing when they get to me. He said, all I can do is probably get them some money. I I can't fix this, right? This is his Christian heart calling out, saying there's got to be something more than just justice that's retribution. See, Paul tells Philemon that the church's approach to justice is not retribution, but ultimately about restoration, about mending the injustice, about bringing these parties back together See, he says in verse 17, again, if you consider me partner, receive him. If you consider me partner, that that word partner is the word koinos, which gives us the word koinonia. It means fellowship. It means the body of believers. It means family. Koinonia is this amazing new social reality that has been given to us for all of us who are in in faith in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, you are part of this new fellowship, this new family, this new community. And so if there's conflict within the church, what Paul's talking about, right, Philemon and Esmus, this is an inter-church conflict. If there's conflict in the church, it's a conflict between family members. Now let's be clear, the sin, the hurt, the evil must be dealt with But the goal is restoration, not retribution. The goal is to mend the injustice. 
See, in Matthew 18, when Jesus walks through that passage of how do you deal with conflict if someone sinned against you in the church, right? You go to them one-on-one, and then if that doesn't work, you bring another person with you, and then if not, you bring them before the church. What does he say in verse 15? He says, if you point out the sin to them and they hear you, he says, you have won your brother. In other words, you've won them back. The whole point of this process was about mending. The process was about restoration, not pure retribution. Philemon, Anesimus has become a brother to you. That's what he was told in verse 16. Now a brother in Christ. Anesimus' wrongs must be addressed, but the justice must aim at mending the family. But Paul goes on, and says that in the church, justice is not just to be a mending kind of justice, a justice that mends, but a merciful justice. In verse 18 and 19, he says this, this somewhat strange phrase, but he's pointing to something much bigger. He says, if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything at all, charge it to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Now, what is Paul saying there? Well, Paul is being for Philemon, Jesus. He's like, let me be Jesus for you right now. I'm going to play Jesus and you play Philemon, okay? If you have an issue with a debt that your brother owes you, you give it to me. You place it on my account. And just as any debt placed on Jesus' account will be more than taken care of, if you place it on my account, it's more than taken care of. Uh, you know, not to mention how much you owe me your very self. See, Paul is offering to bear Anesimus' debt in order to point him back to the gospel. To say, let me be as Christ to you right now and remind you of the debt that's already been paid for you, Philemon. You are a debtor, and Christ has taken your debt on the cross. As he bears your sins and the sins of the world on his shoulders, that debt has been paid, not by you, Philemon, but by another. It's like the Russian soldier who's working in the military and turns out he's embezzling funds through the military. He's working in the HQ, headquarters. And he realizes that he's going to be found out. And so he intends to take his own life. And he gets very drunk, but so drunk that he passes out before he can take his life. And he passes out right on top of the ledger that has all the evidence of his crimes. It's all there. And as the story goes, in walks the Russian czar himself, the emperor. And he looks at the man, and he looks at the ledger, and he figures out everything that's going on, all the crimes. And he looks at this man in compassion, and the czar, the emperor, writes a note and places it on the ledger. And then he seals it with his ring, with the emperor's seal that it truly is his. And what does the note say? The czar's note says, I will make good the debt. I will make good the debt. That's the gospel. And Philemon, you know that's the gospel. You know that you did not pay your debts before God. God himself bore your debts himself. 
The gospel is that the king has looked into the books, the ledger of our lives. He sees it all. And the gospel is that as the king looks at the ledger of our lives, he says, I will pay the debt. The Bible's word for this is the word mercy. Mercy. A justice that is merciful. A justice that is mixed with mercy. Undeserved kindness shown to one to whom wrath is due. And as we receive this mercy, Philemon, God grows our capacity to show such mercy. As we receive that mercy, our capacity grows to show that mercy. Now, somebody said to me recently that Philemon is a big guilt trip, right? It's a big guilt trip. Now, guilt truly is an effective tool at times. Pastors sometimes use guilt. But let me, let's be honest. Guilt doesn't last too long, does it? Guilt doesn't last too long. Um, it's effective, but just for a time. It's like Mr. Bennett in Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. I've got four daughters, so we have watched the BBC version many, many times. Mr. Bennett confronted with a major, major error on his part, a major sinful error, says this words. He says, he says, I'm heartily ashamed of myself, Lizzie. I'm heartily ashamed of myself, Lizzie. But, but don't despair, it will pass. And no doubt, more quickly than it should. It's true, isn't it? Guilt goes too quickly. See, Paul is not giving us a guilt trip here. He's preaching the gospel. He's saying that the gospel will change our lives. That our receiving of mercy will change the way we see mercy. As C.S. Lewis says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Philemon, the gospel is that you have been shown mercy. Therefore, I know that mercy lives in you. The justice that lives in the church must be a merciful justice. Not just mending but merciful. And not just merciful and mending, but ultimately Paul says to Philemon that the church's justice, the justice in the church is to be multiplying. It's, it's to go everywhere. It's to be insatiable. It's to be something that we see keep moving and moving and growing and expanding in our midst and in our world. See, in verse 21, Paul says, Confident in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Even more than I say. That's justice that goes further than the bare minimum requirements. That's justice that grows. That's justice that multiplies. The merciful justice that God has shown us is to invade every corner of the church, is to invade every corner of our lives We are to hunt down injustice in our lives. We are to hunt down injustice in our church and see the gospel brought to bear there. As Martin Luther King once said, he said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. 
is Amos chapter five, verse 24 says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. That's the multiplication of justice in the church. It keeps moving and growing. It goes far beyond the bare minimum. You see, Philemon knows exactly what Paul's getting at when he says, I know you'll do even more than I say, right? He's already hinted at it at verse 16. And he says, he's going to come back to you no longer as a bond servant, no longer as a slave, more than a slave. Finally, we get to the question of Philemon and Onesimus dealing with this emancipation question. We finally get to the question that we've been waiting three weeks about Onesimus being emancipated, freed, released from slavery. Now, critics will often say that when they look at the Bible, that it doesn't outright unequivocally condemn slavery. Yeah, I have to deal with places in Ephesians and elsewhere where Paul has what are called household codes. The deals are the reality of if you are a Christian master and you have slaves, how do you treat them well? And if you are a Christian slave and you have a master, how do you live within that? And people say, look, there's, there's the Bible being unjust. But that's not what the scriptures say. The whole of the scriptures are about emancipation. The entire book of the Bible is about slaves being set free. You cannot say that scripture is not about emancipation. You as a Christian cannot be someone who turns a blind eye to slavery if you are a person of this book because this book is about being freed from slavery. In Exodus, you were slaves to Pharaoh and the Lord saved you from slavery. And in the new Exodus of the New Testament in Jesus Christ, you were enslaved to sin and death. And Jesus has brought you out and freed you from sin and death. Note that Paul's been hinting at this the whole time. It's a masterful example of Greco-Roman persuasion literature. It's a beautiful rhetoric. He's hinting at it so clearly. Five times in this book, this tiny book, five times, Paul has talked about his own bondage. And his own desire, therefore, to be freed of that bondage, right? Verse 1, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Verse 9, prisoner. Verse 10, prisoner. Verse 13, prisoner. Verse 23, prisoner. And then in verse 22, he hits him straight between the eyes. Here's what he says. He says, now I'm hoping that I will, you have to get the guest room ready, because I'm hoping that through your prayers... I will be graciously given to you. Now, what does that mean? He's saying, as you, the Colossian church, are praying for my release from bondage, my release from my chains, you're praying that I will be released. I pray that happens. So the Colossian church, Philemon, is praying every time they gather for Paul to be released from his bondage. Here's Anesimus right in front of you. Will you not release him from the bondage that he is in to you? Philemon, you hold his chains. You can release them. This is the multiplication of justice that Paul is pushing for in the church. That it always goes further. Now it's amazing, Paul says in verse 21, knowing that you will. 
I mean, great confidence, right? Knowing that you will. Well, how can Paul have such confidence that Philemon will do this, that Philemon will loose Anesimus' chains? Because Paul's whole argument is that, Philemon, you're a member of the church. And in the church, justice is not just mending, and justice is not just merciful, but justice in the church is multiplying. You cannot be in the church and not have your heart being transformed moment by moment to be a multiplier of God's justice. Friends, this is the place where justice, God's merciful justice, is put on display every time we meet. Every time we meet, we hear these words about God's merciful justice towards you and me. Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Drink this, all of you. This is my blood which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. How can we come week after week? How can we kneel week after week receiving this meal of merciful justice and not have our hearts grow with a desire to multiply that justice in our lives, in this church, and in our world? Micah 6.8, you know, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Always looking for ways that God's justice will multiply in our midst. So what did Philemon do? As we close our series, what happened? It, it sort of leaves us on a cliffhanger, doesn't it? Did, did he do it? Did he not do it? What happened? Well, we don't know. But we can do some educated guessing, if you'll indulge me. First of all, we know that the letter survived. This letter, this personal letter from Paul to Philemon survived. Therefore, it would seem that Philemon did as Paul required, that he welcomed and forgave Anesimus. I mean, if he didn't, wouldn't Philemon have just folded up the letter and put it in his pocket and you and I would not be reading it 2,000 years later? I mean, I wouldn't want it sticking around if I wasn't going to live up to it. But also the letter survived. It's possible, therefore, it seems, that he went to that extra step. He did even more than Paul says, that he freed Anesimus from slavery. Because again, Paul's not being that subtle. Anyone who reads this letter knows exactly what Paul's pointing towards. Again, why would you allow this letter to remain around if you did not live into this call for emancipation? But even more so, the letter was canonized. It's part of Scripture, which means that part of the way that church was able to discern and receive those letters that were truly inspired by the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit made sure that those letters went everywhere. They were widely distributed. Everyone was reading them. Churches copied them, sent them onto the next church. Everybody was reading these letters. That was a mark of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how far and how wide and how loved these letters were. Why this tiny little letter among all the other correspondence between the apostles of the first century, why did this one become so widely circulated, become so popular within the church, became such a loved letter? Is it possible 
That it's because it memorialized a well-known event that happened in the early church. That this story of Philemon and Onesimus was a story that every Christian in the first century, the late first century, would know. They, they just knew this story. Everybody knew this amazing story of Philemon and Onesimus and how not only he welcomed him and forgave him, but he freed him. But even more so, is it possible that the reason this letter was so loved and so well distributed is because it memorialized some characters that were particularly loved and well-known in this late first century, early second century. I mean, is it possible that this Anisimus, scholars will disagree at times on this, but I'm going to go with the early church fathers and John Knox, who says that this is in fact the same Anisimus that Ignatius writes about about 30 years later when he's writing to the same region. So 30 years after these events, Ignatius writes a letter to the region, and we have that letter today. And do you know what that letter says? It says, in God's name, therefore, I received your large congregation in the person of Anesimus, your bishop in this world, whose love is beyond words. My prayer is that you should love him in the spirit of Jesus Christ and all be like him. Blessed is he who lets you have such a bishop. A slave become a bishop. A man whose love is beyond words. How did he learn such love? He learned it from Christ Jesus and from his brother Philemon, a true man of love. What good news does the church have for this secular age? The good news we have is held together in this story of Anesimus and Philemon, a story that impacts each of us. Because if we can see it, in God's eyes, we are all runaway, thieving slaves. And yet God has loved us, has shown us purpose, and shown us a justice that only Christ can show. This is the good news we have for the world. This is the good news that changes the world. This is our story, the story of Philemon and Anesimus. Lord Jesus, change this world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.